so I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. That men are essential for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary. Dinosaurs eat men. Woman inherits the earth. Safety lights are for dudes. Safety lights are for dudes. <laughs> well, put some skates on. Be your own hero. Things in the air, Kristen. Yeah. Lord, please give it up for the dazzling vocal stylings of Miss Skimmerly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 93 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we really would love to talk about how much we love men, but we just can't because y'all keep fucking everything up. I'm Karen Peterson, joined by my lovely co-host, Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. Lauren, how are you this week? I am good. I am enjoying watching many horror films and also going to New York Film Festival. So it's been an interesting combination of quality of films recently. That would be, yeah. Why don't you give us a super quick like snapshot of some of the stuff you've seen at NYFF this week? Because you're there for us. Yes, I am there for Citizen Dame for the first time, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, let's see, what did I see this week? I saw Parasite, which we're going to talk about later, which is just is everything that people have said it is, and I'm going to struggle really hard to not spoil anything. <laughs> um, it's just really, really good, everybody. Like, go see it, definitely. Uh, yesterday, I actually saw a movie called Wasp Network. Um, oh yeah, I've heard things about that. Which is the new Olivier Assayas film, and it's okay. Um, it's a really interesting story, but I it, it I'm gonna I, there's gonna be a full review up on the website. But um, it's a really interesting story. Great performances: Penelope Cruz, Edgar Ramirez, um, Gail Garcia, uh, Bernal, and. It, it, it should be better than it actually is. Uh, it's interesting, but it's, it doesn't have a central central plot arc that I think works really well. But it was interesting to see them, and, it, and particularly to realize that Penelope Cruz actually is one of the most beautiful women on the planet. Like, I, uh, she was at the press conference yesterday, and it was just like, oh my god, you actually look like that. <laughs> you know, I was like, there, there are some, some celebrities that you see and you're like, oh yeah, they're normal people. You know, they don't have any makeup on or they, they're not like, you know, being filmed by, from several angles, stuff like that. Penelope Cruz actually does look like that. Like that is her appearance. It is just so unfair. No one should be <laughs> that attractive in real life. Um, so I've also, I mean, I saw Pain and Glory, I've seen, uh, I'm hoping to get to see maybe Motherless Brooklyn next week. So, so far, like, pretty much every film that I've seen has at least been good, if not great. So it's been a good New York Film Festival this year. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, you always hear such, like, usually with festivals, things are all over the map. You have some really great stuff, and then you have some things where it's like, did they bribe the festival to like let them show their movie? <laughs> this is really terrible. Who liked this? You know, but but then I have to remember everybody's least favorite movie is somebody's favorite. So maybe, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, I'm I'm excited that you're having such a great time. So, um, and yes, I definitely can't wait to talk about Parasite later. <laughs> that movie is so great. All right, so. 
before we get into today's agenda, I just wanted to give you a moment, Lauren, to <laughs> celebrate and join with me in the triumph over the fact that Ghostbusters Answer the Call, the 2016 classic film from Paul Feig, had a resounding defeat over this week's big debut film on Rotten Tomatoes, at least. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, the last time I checked, I've not checked the Rotten Tomatoes score um, today, but the last time I checked, Joker was at 69%, and, uh, of course, Ghostbusters Answer the Call, the classic Paul Feig film, uh, indeed the only Ghostbusters film ever made, uh, <laughs> was at 74%, which means that, in fact, Ghostbusters Answer the Call is 5% better than Joker. That is just the facts, everybody. So uh, I'm sorry to all of the fanboys, uh, including some of the ones that slid into my mentions over the past week <laughs> and just really wanted to explain how the how a tweet that was initially intended to be kind of a joke and sort of a riff on the way that fanboys use Rotten Tomatoes scores, um, they took it really seriously. And yeah. and they you ended felt up proving them right. <laughs> yeah, they, without even meaning to. They felt that I was really, really wrong, and I was like, "No, I'm sorry. It's just obviously Ghostbusters is five percent better. So the joke, so Joker is not as good a film. That's just that's the truth. <laughs> well, the I truth. mean, that is the truth for a lot of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I did finally get around to posting my review. I dropped it in the middle of the night so as to avoid like an onslaught of hate because I just didn't want to deal with that. But it's there. It's on the website right now. You can read. I didn't even get into all of the reasons I hated this movie because there are too many and it would have taken it would have been a 5000 word review and I just couldn't do that. So um, my basic thoughts in about a thousand words. Uh, anyway. All right, so let's get on to the garbage, because there's, there's some garbage this week, because mm -hmm. of course there is. First of all, uh, James Franco's back in the news, because why wouldn't he be? Um, we remember that when The Disaster Artist came out in late 2017, um, there were some, some... I don't know if there were allegations. I don't really remember exactly how that all worked out. But basically there were some, some stories that were coming out about women that had worked with James Franco. There was a lot of stuff about underage girls. Yeah. And the reason I say that I don't know if it was allegations is because it felt like most of the stories we were hearing were girls saying, well, this happened to my friend or I saw this happen, but the girls that were actually involved didn't seem to be complaining about it. So I think that that's why the story more or less went away. People have since then seen him as like garbage. <laughs> and there've been all kinds of crazy stories about like parties at his house and stuff and, and just like insaneness, insanity. But, um, but I think it mostly went away just because nobody that he, um, that he went after or that he was grooming or whatever you want to say it was, like none of them were complaining so but now things have changed there was a story that came out in the new york times this week about uh, an acting school that that james franco started with some collaborators and basically some of the girls that were participating in the school uh, 
two in particular have filed a lawsuit and uh, their main allegation is that Mr. Franco and his partners, quote, engaged in widespread inappropriate and sexually charged behavior towards female students by sexualizing their power as a teacher and an employer by dangling the opportunity for roles in their projects. And this was in the LA County Superior Court. Now, a lot of people don't realize that James Franco actually teaches at, oh shoot, which school is it? It's either USC or UCLA, he teaches classes in the film program. And so, like, I've heard all kinds of crazy stuff. Just you, you hear things around town, you know, about mm-hmm. uh, girls in his classes and stuff. And this seems to be putting some weight behind those stories. Uh, so, yeah, basically what was happening is that him and his friends who are not named um, would say, hey, you know, it's kind of a Weinstein thing. Hey, do this and I'll give you a part in my movie or my show or whatever. So the lawyer uh, defending James Franco says, well, they deny the allegations and the quote is, James will not only fully defend himself, but will also seek damages from the plaintiffs and their attorneys for filing this scurrilous publicity-seeking lawsuit. To which I say, cool, because that means we get to go into discovery. <laughs> oh, oh God. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm looking through the New York Times article again, because one of the things that one of the things that that this this kind of points out is that this this goes beyond this isn't you know direct this isn't date rape this isn't like a an attack on anyone um or in the way that we tend to think about attacks i think is what right. i'm trying to say uh you know so it it's things like um you know, the women said they were encouraged to push beyond their comfort zones but denied protections of nudity writers and other film industry guidelines that govern how actors can be trained uh, can be uh, portrayed and treated in nude scenes um so the whole thing is that they're basically taking these wannabe actresses these people that are just at the beginning of their careers and are saying like oh if you do this uh, you know, you'll get a job in Hollywood, you'll learn how to do these kinds of scenes and stuff like that. And it's an, it's a gross abuse of power. And you're also exploiting the fact that, you know, these are younger people, these are people that don't have tons of experience within the industry, maybe don't know what their rights are and what the protections are and what these people should be doing. So they're being pushed beyond where they're comfortable um, and essentially being told that this is normal when it's not. Uh, I think that one of the allegations was about uh, that had been brought up before uh, was that Franco removed plastic guards that covered other actresses' vaginas while he simulated oral sex on them. Um, this was one that has come up in previous discussions uh, that this was one of the allegations against him, and I don't, but I don't think that it had been specified to who or how, when this was occurring or where this was occurring, that this was just being discussed. Um, it's, it's disgusting. It's shocking. It's just kind of another addition to, uh, to the way, you know, to, to men operating like this in Hollywood, really trying to use and exploit women who want, who want to be famous, who want to become actresses and who are looking at them as mentors and looking at them as, as people that, you know, they can guide along the way and give them opportunities. And it's a gross abuse of power and it is abuse. Like it's actual, this is sexual abuse. And I hope that they throw the book at him. Uh, we're going to have to wait and see what actually happens, but. 
Absolutely. I mean, one of the problems with these kinds of situations is that, and we've talked before, we've talked at length about that no, the old Hollywood notion of the casting couch and all that. And part of the problem is, like you say, there's nobody guiding these, these girls and young men when they yeah. come to Hollywood and they're trying to... Uh, they're trying to get into the business and they have dreams of becoming famous and they just want to act and they want to have these great careers. There's no one to guide them and, and explain to them what is and is not normal, what is and is not okay. Um, and because of that, they've grown up hearing like, well, you know, girls have to sleep their way to the top. So they come mm -hmm. into town thinking sometimes a lot of times that's what they have to do and it doesn't make it okay and it doesn't just because they're they're uh, I, willing i guess to to go along with it doesn't make it okay and that's the thing sexual abuse doesn't necessarily mean that you didn't technically consent to what happened you know it's it's very much about power it's about yeah. um it's about convincing people that they're okay with things that under normal circumstances they would not be okay with. And that's why it's so insidious. Exactly, yeah. And in this case, it's a vi I mean, one of the points is that this is a violation of industry standards. There are all kinds of things that are supposed to be in place in order to protect people and to say, this is what you can do, this is what you can't do. And, and that's basically what they're saying is that they, the, those protections were not in place and probably they didn't really know about him or even if they did, they were like, well, but this is an opportunity. You know, if I do this and, and it, it's exploitation, if I do this, then I will get something out of it. And then that turns into this argument that like, well, they consented. It's just like, no, you, you can't, you can't like more or less dangle opportunities in front of people and say like, if you, you're, it's coercion. Um, if you agree right. to do X, then you will get money or you'll, you'll get a part in my film. Whether or not it actually, whether or not the, the, uh, the person actually follows through on that. Um, so this needs to be really clear that this is not consensual. This is coercion and coercion is abuse. There, it is not, um, well, I did this and then I regretted it. It's like, no, you were coerced into doing it. Right. Yeah, and there is a big difference. But I think that people hide behind, well, I didn't get a no, so therefore it was consensual. Yeah. But but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not. <laughs> yeah, and there is, as, as you said, there is this whole long history in Hollywood and in Hollywood film. I mean, you know, even depictions of Hollywood show this all the time about powerful men using young women to and, and being like, you know, if you sleep with me, then... Uh, then you'll get a part in the movie, then, you know, and, and that's shown as, it's not shown as a good thing, but it is shown as normal. Yeah. And so young women and young men, like you say, come into the situation and are like, okay, well, this, this is what you have to do in order to get ahead in this industry. Right. Well, and it's also always shown as if they, they do legitimately have a choice and they could just say no yeah. and nothing's going to happen to them, yeah. which is not also, which is also not really true. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's what these guys are taking advantage of. Yeah, exactly. And they know that they can. Mm -hmm. So um, it's it's interesting because the school that Franco was running with his still unnamed <laughs> associates, I would really like to know who. I have some guesses. But um, 
But yeah, it says the women's of the school also offered additional master classes, which could cost as much as $2,000 each, including a $750 master class for sex scenes. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. This just, ugh. It's this, so gross. And this... I just feel bad for these girls who come into town and they're like, oh, wow, I got into James Franco's acting school. This is such a great opportunity for me. And then... Like, from the beginning, they're totally exploited. Well, and one would at least hope that even if nothing ultimately comes from this lawsuit, this has at least exposed yeah. Franco and his partners, and, and hopefully other people who I'm certain that similar things have gone on in, in other acting classes and stuff like that, that it at least gives public attention to it and says, like, this is not normal, this is not okay. If someone is trying to do this to you, they're in violation of the law and you are being exploited. So you should not participate in something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, at least one of the good things to come out of all of this, regardless of whether or not the, the, uh, the abusers are actually punished, is that it's giving attention to what behavior is acceptable and what behavior is not. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And and so hopefully that will mean that, you know, it shouldn't be like this, but hopefully that will mean that there are more people with more knowledge and are able to say, like, no, I, this is, you're, you're crossing a line. And if you continue to cross this line, I'm going to report you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing, too. I mean, I think most people hear the word lawsuit and they imagine, they automatically assume it's a cash grab. And most of the time, especially in cases like this, it's not about the money. It's about drawing attention to a problem. Yeah. It's about trying to find a way to put a stop to something when there is no criminal avenue to go down. Because technically, if you ask any, you know, any cop or prosecutor, they're going to say there's nothing that they could prosecute for here. And so their only recourse is to go through a lawsuit. And like I said before, now this means, especially because they're not just going to pay it off, they're countersuing or at least saying they're going to. Now this means there's discovery involved, which means now we can have some evidence. Mm-hmm. So, it again, it's not going to be something, unless some real crazy stuff happens, it's not going to be anything that James Franco could ever be arrested for and put on trial for. But at least it exposes who he is, what he's done, and tells other you know young up-and-comers in the industry who are moving to town these are not things you should ever be expected to do because these are wrong and there have been actual consequences for people who've tried to make kids do this so yeah um well let's just continue with the garbage (laughs) we also you know i like to get it out of the way yeah we'll just we can finish that off yeah Unlike the Joker, we do not have a garbage strike going on in this town. We deal with it. So, uh, that would make sense if you saw the movie. But anyway, um, I don't recommend it. Uh, (laughs) So, Rob Cohen is back in the news. And earlier this year, I think it was around February, some information came out. His daughter, Valkyrie Weather, came out and, and talked about how her father, Rob Cohen, who directed such classic films as The Fast and the Furious and Triple X and The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, I think was one of them. Mm -hmm. So his daughter came out and said that he had molested her when she was a toddler. And that actually was something that was in the divorce papers between her parents. And back, you know, 
when she was a teenager, I think. And so this was on the record. This isn't something that she just came out and said out of nowhere. Not that that would matter. It doesn't change the fact that it happened. Um, But this has been around for a long time. But she finally came out and said, look, this happened to me. And at the time, a woman who is not identified yet, uh, her name, she's going by Jane in this article in the Huffington Post, but at that time, she decided to reach out to Valkyrie and say, hey, I'm not comfortable going public with my story, but I want you to know that you're not alone. And she has now come forward and her story is is pretty terrible. Uh, it was one of those situations they were, she was supposed to meet Cohen for, I think it was a role in a movie. Yeah. And, or no, they were going to talk about a TV show and oh let's meet and they met at a bar that was near his hotel he ordered her a drink even though she hadn't asked for a drink and he kept encouraging her to drink up they went to a restaurant he got her some wine it was just kind of one of those things and at some point she says that she passed out and when she came to she was in his hotel room naked and he was assaulting her so well, and the, that, yeah. the, the Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, the Huffington Post article goes into, into pretty graphic detail about what she remembers and mm-hmm. about what he was doing. And so I would say that to people who want to know, you know, to go, go and read the full article, it is it is disturbing. Um, so, you know, major trigger warning. Uh, oh, yeah, I was going to say, like, it's a triggering article. So if this is something that you're sensitive to, be very careful about reading it. Um, you know, it, it does, it, it goes back to all of the Harvey Weinstein stuff. It goes, it goes to the James Franco stuff. Uh, you know, women, uh, particularly women, but also, but this has happened to men as well. You know, we can't forget people like Brian Singer and, um, uh, Kevin Spacey, uh, who are again, trying to be in the industry, looking for opportunities within the industry, going to, to meet with someone who is, you know, who's offering them something, who's offering them opportunities, who's offering them contacts, all of that, all of that sort of thing. And then this devolving into, in, in this case, actual assaults like this, this is date rape, like he, it, yeah, based upon every all of the information, it sounds like he probably slipped something into her drink and then brought her back to his hotel room. Uh, yeah. And of course, this is something that I think most women fear at some level and uh but within a a space where you've got these very powerful men and cohen who's not a particularly well-known director but he has done a lot of films and he's been in the public eye and all that it's the you know it's it's like you you want something from them and but also they have a great deal of protection and a great deal of power and a great deal of money it's I mean, it's disgusting and it's frightening, but hope, you know, again, hopefully something will come of this. Yeah, you would hope. I mean, this is one of those things, like, who knows, you know, the number of people who, we talked about this last week, the number of people who actually get canceled from these very credible uh, accusations and allegations, it's really small. And, like, I mean, the, the, it's still undecided whether Kevin Spacey's ever going to be allowed back in. You would think no. And Brian Singer. I mm-hmm. mean, these guys 
are away right now, but there's definitely an avenue. There are people ready to welcome them back whenever they want to come back. And so who knows? And with someone like Rob Cohen, who, no, he hasn't had a big career. Uh, I mean, he launched the Fast and the Furious franchise, which has made almost, you know, $6 billion or something crazy. And so I think that that kind of thing, when you're a white dude in Hollywood, it gives you a lot of clout and a lot of protection. Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad that, I, I mean, it's terrible that this happened to Jane, whoever she may be, but I'm glad that she finally felt like she's like we're in an environment where she could come out and tell her story and the thing is that if you read through and I I couldn't finish reading all of it but if you read her story and you listen to what Valkyrie had to say the these are not the only two yeah <laughs> they can't be because you don't just out of nowhere after years and years and years um just suddenly drink you know drug a woman's drink and rape her yeah and like there's there's way more and so i hope that whoever else is out there uh does come forward and i mean if they need to keep it anonymous like jane has then i mean that is the environment that we're in and and that's the thing is like no he hasn't made a ton of movies and most of them haven't been movies that people love but he makes the movies that the dude bros love and we know how they like to circle the wagons and just start accusing everybody else of everything. So yeah, I can see why it's terrifying to come out against someone like him. Well, and as we've seen with a lot of these cases, like you're saying, when one person comes out, suddenly a whole bunch more do, but that's, what's important about it. So even um, weather said that my greatest hope is that others uh, who've been hurt by Rob Cohen feel that they're able to come forward as well. And that's that's one of the important things about all of this is that many of these women are, are um, putting themselves in danger, right? Because they know that they're going to be attacked. They know, particularly if you're talking about a very famous person, and Cohen isn't, but still, um, that you're going, you know, you're going to be attacked, you're going to be smeared. But very often abusers are repeat abusers. And... By them coming out, other people are like, "Oh, okay, I I can talk about this now." That's what Har- That's what happened with um, Harvey Weinstein. Uh, that's what happened with Kevin Spacey. That is what has happened with a lot of these guys who have been exposed. Um, and that's important. And it, again, the, the the legal ramifications are important, and we want to see more people actually being punished. But the social ones are important also, and this openness and saying like this is not okay, and if this has happened to you, you're in a you're in a space where you can come out and talk about it now, and it you know if you feel comfortable doing it, and, I, and that's very important as well. There is a, sh- a shift going on in society that is very angry, but hopefully will actually produce you know discernible change at the very least, scare the shit out of abusive people. Yeah. <sighs> And, you know, if you, you know, we've, we've talked about this before, but if you are someone who has been a victim, please reach out, please find someone that you can talk to about it. And, uh, you don't have to suffer in silence and you don't have to keep protecting terrible people. The terrible people Uh, don't deserve it. (laughs) They don't, they don't. And, and, uh, yeah, let's, let's get them Let's get them away from society so they can't hurt people. So, all right, let's move on from this. Let's talk about other terrible things that are terrible <laughs> in a different way. 
<laughs> oh my god. Which one? <laughs> so let's go to let's go to the first one first. Um, because this is just so like, what the fuck? Metropolis. <laughs> now, I really love the movie Metropolis and on another podcast I do, The Watch and Talk, we have a sort of a side project going. Well, I didn't I can't say we because I'm not really part of it. I've just guessed it a couple of times. But basically all of our listeners submitted their top 50 films of all time so that we could compile a gigantic list of the our listeners' favorite 101 movies. And I put Metropolis on my list and I ranked it high. And my co-host made fun of me. He's like, nobody actually likes Metropolis. They only watch it when they go to film school. I'm like, first of all, I didn't go to film school. Second of all, I freaking like Metropolis, okay? <laughs> your your co-host, whoever whoever he might be, I'm assuming. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. I would like to tell him that he is an idiot. And I saw Metropolis. I tell him that frequently. <laughs> I saw Metropolis, by the way, multiple times. Long before I went to film school, I saw it in film school, and then I saw it again when they found some of the new scenes after film school. So, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Well, Lauren, why don't you tell our audience <laughs> the travesty that they are trying to unleash upon the world via Metropolis? So, the, the place where this seemed to get reported the most, at least it was the article that was being passed around, was from openculture.com. Um... And basically, they're colorizing and dubbing Metropolis. Uh, and I'm trying to, I'm actually trying to see who is doing it. Of course, Metropolis, I believe. Is yeah, I couldn't the, figure that out. Uh, Metropolis, I believe, is in the public domain. So pretty much anyone could do this if they wanted to. Uh, yeah. But so, so yeah, so Metropolis is going to be colorized and, uh, and dubbed. And of course, if you know anything about Metropolis, you know that it is a two and a half hour, uh, germ silent German expressionist film directed by Fritz Lang it has been hugely influential in, um, sci-fi and horror, uh, most particularly it influenced Ridley Scott's Blade Runner and, but really just. Like it, it is, it's aesthetic. If you go and watch Metropolis sometime, you will see images that you have seen in other films and later films. This is a massively influential film. So it's worth seeing solely for its historical value. It's also a very good film. Uh, it is not, I will say it is not my favorite Fritz Lang film. Uh, it's not even really my favorite silent Fritz Lang film, but it is a very well-made uh, movie. It is very long and very involved and complicated. Uh, and the, I, several people said this online and, and I agree with them. I'm like, well, who is this for? Right. Like, is this for, I, I know a few people were like, oh, well, this will get more people into this era of film. It's like, but it won't because this era of film is silent. Uh, it is Primarily in black and white, although, uh, again, we tend to forget that um, film of that period could be tinted, could be colorized. Um, in fact, I think the version of Metropolis I first saw was more like sepia. It wasn't really black and white. Well, and, and one of the things that happens in a lot of silent film is is that you use they use different filters. So you can very often yeah. use blue for nighttime and more of a sepia or a brown tone for daytime. And so... 
there are color choices that silent film directors made about their films. So it's not all just, you know, people in flickering images. There are like, there's a use of color. There's a use. Sometimes there's even a use of sound. Some of the later silent films actually did make use of sound. They also made use of narrators where you would actually have a, scripts that went along with the film and that someone would read or talk during particular points in the movie. This was common throughout the silent era. Uh, I'm fairly positive that Metropolis did not have that, but so there's, there's all kinds of stuff that is deliberately put into silent films that goes way beyond, you know, whether or not the people talk or not. And that goes way beyond whether or not they're in what we would consider to be color. So no one who loves Metropolis wants to see this. It is unlikely that anyone who hasn't seen Metropolis will go like, oh yeah, I'll totally see it now because it's in color and it's dubbed because it's still, right. it's still Metropolis and it's not going to get you into other silent movies because you're not watching a silent movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just don't, I, I don't get I it. I feel like this, yeah, <laughs> I feel like my sense is that it's not really about attracting new viewers. It's about a vanity project of like, oh, this could be fun. Let's see what we could do with it. And I mean, if that was all they were doing and they just wanted to do this for themselves, fine. But I guess, but <laughs> don't make a big deal about it. And don't talk about this. Like you're going to exhibit it publicly, like keep it to yourselves because yeah, this like, if they're going to do exhibitions of Metropolis on a big screen or something. Let's keep it to the original as closely as we can and show it that way. That would be way more fun. I'd love to go see a retro screening of Metropolis at like the Arclight, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I remember I've, I've seen Metropolis on the big screen one time and it was, uh, it was in a theater in Edinburgh and it was when they had actually rediscovered, I think about 20 minutes of mm-hmm. scenes that had been lost and again, if they found any, them in Brazil, right? Yeah, and and if anyone has seen, you know, the various releases of Metropolis over the years, for a while there were huge. There still are gaps in the film, but um, there were huge gaps where they actually had to fill in the gaps with um, information from script pages, information from title cards that they still had, and just basic and like just still frames that still existed, but there was a lot of speculation involved in what happens in these missing sections of the film. And so a couple years ago, oh, this was almost 10 years ago now, um, a number of scenes were actually discovered. And so they got to restore some of these scenes. You actually got to see what happened. And it was fascinating. And it was fascinating as someone who loves film. And it was just fascinating to actually see this film that has been so influential being rebuilt, right? There's nothing wrong with that kind of thing. You want that kind of thing. Colorizing a movie is not adding anything to it. It's not giving, it's not giving it new texture or giving us a new understanding of it. It's just crass. Uh, You know, I, I, a number of people began talking about online about colorization and colorization was one of the crimes that Ted Turner committed uh, way back in the day before. And he, uh, people joke that he actually had to start Turner Classic Movies in order to repay the universe <laughs> for, for the crimes of colorization. But I, the first time I ever saw Alfred Hitchcock's Suspicion was in a colorized version. And it is offensive. Because first of all, the colors are just bizarre. Anyone who's ever seen colorized films, just like they're strange. It's not real skin tones or real, you know, 
colors, it's like this weird, almost Crayola appearance. Mm-hmm. It's very creepy. Um, second of all, you know, you're, you're completely removing the initial lighting structures, the initial light, like you're saying, things like tinting, things like sepia tone or, or blue filter, all of that stuff. You're just taking that away from the film and adding something that just makes it look garish. So I, I don't, I don't get what the point is. I don't know. This, this really made me mad and, and it made me mad that people were trying to justify it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't do it. Just don't ever do it. Just stop. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) So that's that. Watch the original movie. It's great movie. Watch it and watch other silent films and you don't need to have them colorized and voiced. It really That's is. That's the whole point of them. It really And you know what? If you want to get into German expressionism and you're not prepared to go for a two and a half hour film, go for something like The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is a gorgeous film. It is fascinating. It's Conrad Veet. And, and it's like an hour and a half. It is a very, it is a great horror story. That's basically what it is. Go for something like that and then work your way into something like, which, like Metropolis, which is much longer and more involved. Like... Dear God, guys, there's so much good stuff out there, and most of it is free. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. You can watch so much. Like, I know you've mentioned this a million times, but there's so much stuff that's available on YouTube. Or you can even go to the Library of Congress and watch a bunch of things mm-hmm. because it's all, like you said, in the public domain. And, I mean, I've watched a number of, like, the very first films from the early, like, 1910s. Mm-hmm. And I've watched a bunch of them through the Library of Congress's website because you can just watch them there for free. And you don't have to have any sort of login or membership or anything. You can just access them. So there's no excuse. Um, so speaking of cinema. <laughs> <laughs> what is cinema? <laughs> well, Martin Scorsese has an answer. Or at least he knows what it's not. Oh, God. <laughs> So this was in an interview with Empire Magazine, and um, he, so this was part of a longer conversation where he was actually there to talk about The Irishman, his new film that's three and a half hours long, um, and apparently pretty good from what I hear, but uh, anyway, so the person that was interviewing him asked about the proliferation of the superhero genre, and and uh, specifically, I guess, about the MCU, but uh, really just about the superhero genre in general. And of course, this happened to come out the week the Joker was being released, <laughs> unleashed on the world. But um, anyway, so he, his quote, this is Martin Scorsese said to the reporter, I don't see them. I tried, you know, but that's not cinema. Honestly, the closest I can think of them, as well-made as they are, with actors doing the best they can under the circumstances, is theme parks. It isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being. And a lot of people had some thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Many, many thoughts. Uh, So many thoughts. And I mean, I did too. I didn't express them because I was just like, what could I possibly add to this stupid discourse <laughs> that is going nowhere? So I didn't <laughs> express them now, Karen, express them now. Well, I will. But before I get there, I just want to say that what I what I was most struck by and the reason I decided not to jump in is because Martin Scorsese 
is a human person, if anybody hasn't noticed, and he's allowed to have opinions. <laughs> and <laughs> something that I always make fun of, but I'm starting to think people think I'm serious. Opinions aren't right or wrong. They're opinions. And it doesn't matter if you agree with... I mean, it's fine to agree with him or to not agree with him. But that doesn't change the fact that he's allowed to think what he thinks and that he's not wrong for thinking it. Yep. That being said, I disagree about Marvel movies not being cinema. I think I've had some really beautifully impactful emotional moments watching things like Captain Marvel and Black Panther and even Iron Man 3 and Captain America. Like Some of these movies have really impacted me and I've had some just really great moments in the theater experiencing them. But for him, that's not cinema. That's not something that moves him. And that's okay. We can move on with our lives because it's okay. It doesn't... He's not coming to your house and destroying your Blu-ray collection. That's not going to happen. I mean, it'd be kind of awesome. I would let him in. I could replace them all. It's fine. If Martin Scorsese wanted to destroy my Blu-ray collection, first of all, it would make me sad because I have things like Red Shoes, which I he really likes also. <laughs> so. He would probably not destroy your entire collection. <laughs> he would just be like, oh, many Criterions. That's really nice. <laughs> He'd be like, you can keep that one and that one. I'm going to take these two and then burn the rest. I've definitely got Iron Man and Iron Man 2. I know that. And Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you think of all of this? It's stupid. It's I, The whole thing is stupid. And yeah, I, I, I obviously, I agree with you. It's Martin Scorsese. You know, one, one of the things that people kept on saying was that you know? Oh, he doesn't. He doesn't get it. He's just an old man about it. Just like no, 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 no. Listen, Scorsese has lived his entire life in cinema. Um, he has been a major proponent of film preservation. He has been a major proponent of films of also preserving films that are not you know quote the classics. Um, one of the reasons why we have many of the Michael Powell films, things like The Red Shoes and uh, or other films like Falutin's Cat People is is because Scorsese and and his partners have actually been like, we need to preserve these things. These are things that deserve preservation and that deserve attention. That's all good. Like the fact that he does not see value in a Marvel film or or in superhero films in general is fine. It's fine. He is allowed to not see value in it. Again, I don't agree with that. I, I think that... Um, I think that those films definitely have cultural value. They have emotional value. Some of them, for me, more than others. But again, if we're talking about emotional connection and emotional response, the way that you respond emotionally to films is very, very subjective. I mean, and, you know, we're going to talk about horror films in a minute. What scares me and what makes, you know, what gets under my skin is very different from what gets under your skin. And that's yeah. fine. And that is the way that it should be. That is why we have all of these different genres of films and all these different opportunities for experience. I don't want to sit around and watch Martin Scorsese films constantly, but I also don't want to sit around and watch Marvel films constantly. I have many different options and that's a good thing. Uh, I, I do find it interesting. And just in terms of what we were saying about silent movies, I do find it interesting that he mentions theme park rights, that that's like his, um, that's the place that he goes to about these films because one of the things that that um, I learned in when I did film studies and particularly in terms of film history is that for a very long time 
the way that we treated film was as spectacle. And it was meant to evoke this, this sensation almost of an amusement park of like, you're going in to uh, this other world and you're experiencing these major things. You know, one of the things that they love to show was that one of the reasons why the Cecil B. DeMille films are so massive is that they were like, we're going to get this whole crowd together and it's going to, and we're going to recreate ancient Rome. You know, we're going to get, we're going to take people to places. We're going to, you know, make short documentary shorts about the circus because people can't always go to the circus. And we'll watch, you know, acrobats and stuff like that. So there is the sense of the amusement park, in and in, particularly in a lot of those early films, that it's meant to be a spectacle. And that it isn't really all that it's, the emotion that it's meant to evoke in you is awe. That's about it. That experience of riding up and down, of going into a fun house. And then you walk away and it's just like, okay, that was fun. And that, that's all that it was. But it's interesting that he's then saying that, you know, that experience is not cinema is not inherently cinematic and then he's equating more to the connections between human beings as something that is necessary in cinema and i think that that's a really interesting um element and particularly in light of his own films where even though you know you have these big events and sometimes these uh, larger than life characters there is that sense of humanity and that what these events and what these people have to say about humanity and how you connect emotionally to them. Uh, and I, th I do think that superhero films do that in places. I don't, honestly, I don't think that something like Avengers Endgame does, but I do think that something like Captain Marvel or Black Panther does. So it's an interesting argument and, but there's nothing wrong with having that argument. It's okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, there are two things that I wanted to, to just jump in and say really quickly before we move on. First of all, to everybody saying that Martin Scorsese is 76 years old and doesn't get it, I would like to remind you that we just lost Stan Lee at age 95. <laughs> and um, I'm pretty sure he got it. So I don't think age has anything to do with it, you ageist assholes. Second of all, uh, I just wanted to take another moment to dunk on James Gunn because he's stupid. And um, he tweeted, oh God, Martin, oh yeah, if you haven't heard this one, just no. brace yourself because it's hilariously stupid. <laughs> Martin Scorsese is one of my five favorite living filmmakers. I was outraged when people picketed The Last Temptation of Christ without having seen the film. I'm saddened that he's now judging my films in the same way. Martin Scorsese out in front of Suicide Squad with a picket sign. We're recanceling James Gunn. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh, like, please. like, dear Jesus, just for sheer dumbness. Yep. yep. Oh my God. Okay. Like, I hope that people remember what the actual what the actual picketers were doing in terms of Last Temptation of Christ and what the argument actually was. Because, dear God, James Gunn, you wish. You wish <laughs> that someone had that feeling about your film, that someone that like that your work was that provocative, which it isn't and it probably never will be. Holy nope. shit. <laughs> I know. I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. Seriously. Holy shit. Well, that's it. I agree with Martin Scorsese. Uh, superhero films are trash. <laughs> they are not cinema. <laughs> 
I just, if we've got to choose up sides, man, you know, I'm going to go with Uncle Marty. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm picking Marty over James Gunn every day of the week. Uh, James Gunn and Todd Phillips, Jesus. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, let's get into some listener questions, because we got some really fun ones. I'm excited about this. So you threw out the question, or, well, you threw out asking for questions um, about horror films specifically, and we got some awesome ones. Yes. I'm excited. So let's just jump right in. The first one comes from at JKC Hart. What's the kind of horror film that you feel lingers the most to you that just sucks you into its version, its vision, and leaves you interested for more? Might be weird, but I'm always fascinated as to what kind of horror connects with people and why. And I like starting with that question because of what you were just saying about how what scares each of us is different. Mm -hmm. And and I love that. So Lauren, what what is it about horror that gets to you? What really gets under your skin? Uh, haunted house movies. I yeah. I love haunted house movies, and like I'm always looking for more. So if anyone has recommendations for like really obscure but good haunted house films, please send them my way. I love them. Uh, yeah, and so some of this I've talked about it before. Some of this is is because of my childhood. I I grew up in this big ass Victorian house. Uh, that was in the middle of nine acres of land and um, was kind of falling apart in a lot of places. Uh, it was a great, great place to grow up. But but so that that kind of thing has always gotten to me. So I love films like The Haunting, um, The Changeling, uh, what was the other? Oh, The Innocents, things like that. I like those sort of paranormal ghostly films. I find them much scarier than slasher films, stuff like that. The The other side is that, speaking of slasher, I love Giallo. And I love that particularly films like Suspiria and um, some of Mario Bava's films that are almost surreal, that there's like this just terrifying nightmarish quality to them. And they kind of get your heart racing. They really get into me. I think because there's not this like, pat explanation at the end of all of it like here is what is actually happening it's more like you know this is weird and it's a, about the image and it's about the music and the experience of it versus you know the explanation for it and the logic behind it I, I just I love that and it really affects me and it's it's the kind of thing that it doesn't give me nightmares anymore although it used to uh but it's something that like I feel like that this is a that this is a film that has actually affected me in some way that I'm I don't just turn it off and go like well that was fun and and walk away. So what about you, Karen? Oh man, so it's interesting because I there are some slasher movies that I like, but when I talk about or look for a good horror film, uh, I'm it's weird. I'm actually kind of also drawn to haunted house movies, which the reason I say that's weird is because I actually lived in a couple of places where weird shit went down. Maybe. Um, See, that's not, I don't think that's weird. Like, I think that's normal. Well, yeah, no, I mean, like maybe when we get closer to Halloween, I'll actually tell one of the stories on, on this podcast. Cause I have some interesting ones, but um, I, I, I think because I've experienced stuff in my real life and I have this just aversion to anything that's like possession. Mm. I always thought that I didn't like those types of movies, but I actually do. And I was just scrolling through my letterboxed list of like what sort of what horror movies have I watched? And there are a lot of supernatural ones, which I didn't realize I was as into that as I am, but I really am. Um, 
I think for me, though, what really gets me, because there are a lot of really good and really bad supernatural films mm. and slasher films. And I think when there's this question mark, am I really seeing that? Did that really just happen? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's when you're not sure what's real and what isn't. And that's where I really just, I love, I love that mystery to it. I want to have a good mystery along with the horror. So mm. I, I don't necessarily like things just always being at face value. Um, yeah. That sort of psychological element. Yeah. Yeah. Psychological horror. Is that exactly. Mm-hmm. But that being said, there are others that are pretty straightforward that I also really enjoy too. And I think that's when it gets more into like, a, an emotional journey of some kind. Those tend to involve like families and people that are going through some sort of trauma, um, which we'll talk some, We'll talk about some specific movies in a minute because I think that was uh, another question that came up. So, um, yeah. So thanks, James, for that question. Let's go on to the next one. This is from at BLC Agnew. What's a horror film you came late to that actually lived up to the hype? Uh, Do you have one? I, I've got two. Um, okay. The first one is this one because I want to give a shout out to it. Jennifer's Body. Uh, yeah. which is now in its, what, this is its 10-year anniversary? 10 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I saw it for the first time earlier this year, and then I, I watched it again a couple weeks ago. It actually is so, so good. So much fun. And I had originally avoided it because of the way that it was marketed, which is unfortunate. And then, of course, suddenly everyone began talking about it again. It was like, oh, actually, maybe this is interesting. Maybe this is better than I think it is. And And so I went and watched it, and it actually is, like, it's, so much fun. Um, the other one, Halloween. Uh, I had not seen Halloween until a couple years ago. And I sort of went in going like, okay, this is one of the most famous slasher films ever, right? It's a major horror film. Gotta see it, you know? And and it actually did scare me. Like, it, even though I knew some of the beats because it's been repeated in pop culture so much... Um, it actually did really frighten me and it, it's a very effective film. You know, that soundtrack is mm-hmm. so frightening. And I like, I like the fact that we, we often forget that it sort of opens with this like campfire story. Uh, and I love that. I like, I, I want to remember that because we focus so much on the shape, but no, there's all, there's all sorts of interesting campfire stuff going on. Um, so yeah, those two, I think are definitely ones that lived up to the hype for me. Yeah, actually, Halloween is one of mine, too, because I didn't watch it until... And it's like, I watched Nightmare on Elm Street, and I had watched Friday the 13th when I was in high school, but for some reason, there was just something about Halloween that really freaked me out, and I would avoid it. I think I think because it was, you know, he was killing babysitters, and I was a babysitter, <laughs> and I was just like, no! Um, so I avoided it, I'd heard it so good, and I finally watched it. Actually, um... I want to say it was like within the last 10, 15 years. So uh, it was like, I was very well into my adulthood before I finally sat down and forced myself to watch it. And I was like, this movie's so good. So that's probably my favorite of the horror slasher films. Although I love scream and Mm. uh, that, uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, Halloween is definitely one of mine. Another one is, on Netflix. It was a Netflix movie, actually. It's Creep. 
Oh, yeah. 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 Wait, it's, um, yeah. It's Mark Duplass. Mm. And he is this guy. So it's basically about this guy who is, uh, he's a photographer, or videographer, and he responds to an ad on Craigslist or something um, for filming service. And he shows up to this guy's house. Nobody's there. He's waiting and waiting. Finally, the guy shows up and it's Mark Duplass, who most people would just agree. He, I mean, he's just this kind of normal guy, mm-hmm. nondescript, non-threatening. And he shows up and he's just like, hey. And um, so they're basically spending the day together and he's following him around. And it's the story is that he is dying of cancer and his wife's about to have a baby and he wants to kind of my life this he wants to do this movie about himself or this video so that his son one day would be able to watch it but as the day's going on stuff just gets weirder and weirder and you're like what the hell is this guy's deal what is going on here and it's just it's so engrossing Mm -hmm. and it's like i said it's one of those movies where it's like because there's this mystery of like Am I imagining this? Is something really going to happen? What's going on? It just really sucked you in. It's only 82 minutes long. It's not long. Yeah. But it it's so... It just really builds in, in tension. And so it just... The length is perfect. Because if it had been longer than that, it would have just been too much. It would have been overkill. But, oh man, yeah, it's good. And it's on Netflix, so go watch it. There's a second one. I haven't actually watched that one yet. But I actually just watched Creep earlier this summer for the first time after hearing about it for a couple of years. So I recommend that one. Creep still haunts me. Creep scared yeah. the hell out of me <laughs> when I saw it because I kind of, it was the same thing where you're just like, what is actually happening here? Right. And it's, <laughs> and why doesn't this guy just leave? <laughs> well, but at the same time you kind of get it because it is that sort uh-huh. of, that sort of like, yeah, what is actually happening? Is this something that I should be scared of? Or is this, just actually normal or is there something else going on and Mm -hmm. it's it's so so well done and like you say just really really effective and some there are some moments where i'm just like no i will never be able to get this out of my head Uh uh-huh yeah yeah so that one's that one's good i love it so i'm gonna watch the second one this month because it's halloween and you gotta watch scary movies at halloween i need to see the second one too yeah um, okay, so next one. This is from at Posits Paw, P-A-U. What's the biggest twist in a horror film that you didn't see coming? And what's a twist you saw from a mile away? I'm a little nervous about answering this because I don't want to spoil really good twists I for know. People. I was trying to think, like, what are some movies that everybody knows the twist now that I can talk about? Um, I will say a twist that I saw a mile away um, was in... The village. Yes, I was gonna say that one. Yeah, and and but it was like I really love that movie. So even though I totally saw the twist, I didn't care because to me the the twist was not the point. And in fact, I think with most M Night Shyamalan movies, besides The Sixth Sense, the twist isn't the point. It's just something that people expect from him, so he puts them in there. But I yeah, that one definitely. I hated the village. Uh, (laughs) I still hate it. I hate it with a passion. it's okay you're allowed to be wrong um no i'm right and the reason the reason why i'm right is because 10 minutes into the film i was like huh i wonder if the solution is x and then and then i was immediately like no that is too fucking stupid (laughs) and so i went along with the rest of the film then i was like oh look the solution is x 
That's so fucking stupid. And see, I watched it and went, I think the solution is X, and I'm interested in Y. And so I looked at the more psychological aspects of it, and not about the, this is what's happening. So, and what would cause people to do this in the first place? Yeah, but it was a stupid solution. Well, you can think that all you want. It was stupid. If you had millions and billions of dollars... You could do really stupid stuff too. I'm not agree- I'm not arguing that what they do is stupid, but the reasoning behind it and the implications from it and what will happen for that community in the future is I think the real question. So eh, it's stupid. It's fine. <laughs> You're wrong, Karen. Um, <laughs> what's a twist that totally shocked you? Uh, well, again, trying not to spoil anything. And I'm going to say this because I think a number of people have already said that there is a twist. I'm not going to say what the twist is because I want everyone to go watch the movie. Everybody needs to go watch One Cut of the Dead. I've uh, never seen that. It is on Shudder. It is right now exclusive to Shudder. It is a Japanese zombie movie. Okay. And it is honestly one of the cleverest horror films I have seen in a very, very long time. And even though you will, you'll think that you know what is going to happen, but you will be wrong. And regardless, it is, it's great fun. So, uh, and as it, it was one of those that I was like, oh, I kind of see where they're going with this. And then I was like, oh, I did not see really where they were going with this. Um, one of the things I will say to everyone, it was a warning that I was given. I'm going to give it to everybody else. Give it to you. Watch past the first half hour. Do not turn off the film until you have seen at least half an hour of it. Um, okay. Because that, that's, that's part of the whole setup. Like you, you just, you have to move past it. See the whole movie. Um, don't go like, no, I don't want to see this and turn it off. Like, I'm just, just got to say that it really is incredibly clever. Cool. Uh, you know, I'm going to say, I think a twist I didn't see coming, but after the fact I felt like I should have, was in The Others. Yeah. With Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because with that twist, it made it really easy to notice them in other movies, but I think this one was like, it was just, it wasn't what I was expecting. And so the way that they did it, I was just like, oh, that's so clever. So... I mean, a lot of other movies have copied similar yeah. things, but, but it kind of started there. And uh, yeah, I like that one. Um, oh, and then another movie with a twist that I totally saw coming, but again, I didn't mind because the movie itself was really compelling, is Goodnight, Mommy. Ooh, I have not seen that. Ooh, yeah, you should watch it. I thought it was on Shudder, but it might not be. I think it's streaming somewhere right now, though. But um, it's an Austrian film, and it's these these twin boys and they you know they kind of live isolated they're out in the country their mom has been gone she comes back she's had some medical treatments and so when she comes back her face is all bandaged up and they start to become convinced that she's not really their mother ooh yeah and um it's it's a lot of fun these these two boys are are really fun to watch and the movie itself, it's very like, it's its another one of those. It's like, what is actually happening here? And I figured it out pretty easily, but I still just really enjoyed the journey of getting to the end. Mm-hmm. So I recommend that one. And I'm going to try to stall a little bit to see if it's streaming somewhere because I 
really want people to watch it. Um, I actually saw it at AFI Fest a few years ago just by random. It was like, eh, what the heck, I've got some time, I'll watch it. And I was not disappointed. Um, it is on Amazon Prime. Oh, cool. So there you go. Yeah. Cool, I'll put that so on my go list. check that out. Mm-hmm. And so, let's see. And our last question for this week comes from at Sharia Drury. What are some horror films that have been feminist or didn't fall into the negative tropes for women? And for horror films moving forward, what are tropes you'd hope to see less of and awesome storylines you'd like to see more of? Uh, I mean, I, I think that you, we mentioned Jennifer's Body. Um, Jennifer's Body does actually do a great job with playing with tropes and mm-hmm. taking some of the tropes and the concepts and being like, you know, actually we're going to completely undercut them or we're going to, you know, focus on female monstrosity and stuff like that. And I, I really like that. Um, the other one, The Witch, which mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, it's the um, what, Robert Eggers film from a couple years ago, uh, which I was not convinced was feminist the first time I saw it. And after having seen it a couple more times and really thinking about it, I think that it very much is, but it's horrifying in terms of its feminism because it, it kind of exposes the existence of women under patriarchy and the choices that women have to make and that, that women can make and how horrific that can be. Uh, the other one, and I think it's almost an accident that this movie is feminist. I'm going to make an argument for it as feminist. <laughs> the Vampire Lovers, which is oh. a 1967 uh, adaptation of Sheridan Le Fanu's novel Carmilla, which is largely known as the first lesbian vampire story. And it's it's a, it's a Hammer film. You know, it's got Ingrid Pitt in it and... Uh, Kate O'Mara, there's a lot of boobs and blood. Uh, But actually, one of the things that it does really well and that it does really interestingly is that it uses the story and really talks about the relationships between these women and um, is very explicit and non-male gazy in a lot of ways uh, in terms of its depiction of lesbianism and this relationship between these women. And it almost by accident becomes this kind of reaction against patriarchy and the reaction against the, the control and the female vampire is kind of being this um, otherworldly opportunity for, uh, for young women. In this case, young Victorian waifs that Ingrid Pitt just seduces a whole bunch of young women, uh, young Victorian waifs to sort of actually express their sexuality and, um, that they can't do within a more patriarchal construct. And of course it also, you know, it's kind of a predictable ending. You know, what's going to happen in the end of all of it, but the journey to actually get there is, is surprisingly feminist and surprisingly transgressive. Awesome. Um, yeah, I will check that one out. So let's see, I have a couple that I would also like to mention. One is the Babadook. Yeah. That is just, that's a movie that really has stayed with me for ever since I saw it, you know, a few years ago. And it's so much about grief and about so many other things that really, it's hard for me to even talk about this movie. I mean, you've got a single mother whose husband died years before and 
but she's still dealing with that and she's still trying to cope with it and her son now is getting a little older and he doesn't understand and so so it's there's very much that that mother thing that you see in a lot of horror movies but the way that they handle the relationship and where she's basically just completely unraveling and trying to process something that she doesn't understand and ultimately the film itself is an allegory for grief and it's really well done and I it's one of those stories that if it had been done by a male director it could not possibly have worked nearly as Mm -hmm. well as it did and Jennifer Kent really just gave this brilliant story and if you have not seen the Babadook it's it's one that you should not miss because it really does dive into so many layers and levels of um, not just grief, but the relationships that we have with people and our, our relationship with the world around us and, and how to navigate that when, when you're just, you're completely uncomfortable in your own skin, but also with your circumstances and, Oh, it's just, it's, Oh, it's such a great film. And the other one that I'm just going to mention is Hush, which is also on Netflix. And the reason I mentioned that one is because one of the things that I absolutely hate that horror movies do is no matter how strong your central female character is, there's always someone that has to come in and rescue her in the end. And that is not what happens in this movie. And thank God for it, you know? And uh, so I just wanted to give a mention to that one. And uh, yeah, any others? Well, do we want to talk about the tropes that we want to see less of? Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Because uh, I've, men- I've mentioned this a couple of times. Uh, I'm, I'm so tired of, I mean, I'm tired of this for female characters in general, but I'm, I am tired of sexual assault being the horror uh, mm-hmm. and, and one of the problems that I actually have with it is not so much that it is a, it, it is a part of many women's lives, as we know, as we've talked about, but using it as kind of the jumping off point as kind of the main fear of a female character in a horror film is, is like, no, women are afraid of other things, too. We're afraid, you know, women can be tormented by ghosts. That's OK. We can have that. You know, they can be tormented by zombies and, and that that kind of thing, that it doesn't have to be this trauma in this and it's almost always sexual trauma and the problem is that it's often then sexualized and turned into something that is you know fetishized and treated as being you know this the sole motivation for a, a female character and and it's it's exhausting it kind of in sometimes it removes the actual fun that is there in a horror film because it's like and by the way she was assaulted when she was 12 it's like great now I'm really di- now I'm really disturbed, and you've kind of removed some of the fun of this for me because we have to talk about this in a real world context. Um, I'm just I'm sick of it, and uh, I would really like to just not see that again. And I also I also agree with you the whole sweeping in and saving uh, someone sweeping in and saving the the tough woman at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Yep, I would agree. Those are both mine as well. Let's get rid of sexual assault as motivator it doesn't have to be eliminated altogether there are times that it has been handled well but it's just it's so overdone now yeah and it's yeah i will say there's one movie that kind of turned that around a little bit it was big bad wolves which is an israeli film i think that's on shutter right now too um 
And that is actually a film about these men that go after someone that they believe is a child predator after a couple of kids have gone missing. And the way that that is handled is actually really interesting because, again, it's one of those, like, I don't know if this guy did it and if he deserves what's happening to him. This is pretty messed up. Um, So it's very interesting. And it's a little bit of a twist on that. And also um, Hard Candy, too, as Ellen Page and Patrick Wilson does the same thing where it's it's not the victim fighting back. It's kind of in the name of someone else. And so I think that those are, are interesting plays on that. But overall let's let's just move on and find other things there are so many other things in the world that are also horrifying let's let's pick some other stuff mm-hmm. let's freshen it up a little bit and and women are scared of other things too that's the thing there's, yeah. there's this tendency to be like oh this is the only thing that women are afraid of and it's like no mm-hmm. we're scared of so many things like men are like literally yep. all of those like it's not just that one thing <laughs> exactly exactly so yeah, let's 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 mix it up. Oh, people. The other one, I do want to say this one. The other one is the greatest horror in a woman's life is not being able to have children. Right. Yeah. That is another yeah. one that there's so many female characters that are motivated by that. That it's just like, oh, I am so sad and depressed because I cannot have babies. It's just like, no, that is tough. That can be tough for some women, and there's again no reason why that can't be explored. But it is so often the backstory of so many like female characters that they have to get past this horror of not being able to be mothers. Mm-hmm. I'm sick of and it. And that they're somehow less, less of a person because they're not a mother, or at least they think that they're less, yeah. which is a reality for some women. But you know what? For others of us, we're like, yes, I'm not a mom. <laughs> Freedom. <laughs> so yeah, not all women are the same. Surprisingly. Amazing. Amazing. Isn't it weird? So, all right. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for those great questions. Keep them coming. We're going to have a different horror or Halloween-themed question or comment or whatever every week. So please join join in with us because it's going to be it's going to be a fun month. I I love horror films, not as much as Lauren, and I have definitely not seen as many, but um, I really do love them, and I'm going to watch some of your recommendations this month, and I'm excited. And and definitely vote in our the polls that, that is currently up on Twitter, which horror movie gentleman was the tastiest snack? Uh, yes. This is very I important. I will say that I was surprised by my answer. <laughs> <laughs> what was your answer? I picked Vincent Price. He is a tasty snack. I mean, he really is. But I would have thought Peter Cushing. But when I came to respond, it was just like, nope, (laughs) Vincent Price. That's the one. (laughs) For anyone who does not realize what a tasty snack Vincent Price is, go watch Dragon Wick. Like, oh, my God. That is. Yes. That is an experience. I'm telling you right now. (laughs) It is something. All right, so let's talk about other experiences. Lauren, this week you finally got to see the movie that is currently sitting at my number two of the year. And big exciting news, I am quoted on the poster (laughs) and in the new trailer. Ah! (laughs) So excited. So I like this movie. What did you think of Parasite? I loved it. Um, I I did put up a review on, on our website, so my... My thoughts are all there at at the same time. It, it it's a fantastic film. Uh, on the one hand, I I do kind of agree with people that are saying they you know you you should go into this as blind as possible. Um, I do think that just telling the main the basic plot 
is at least the the sort of inciting incident, as it were. It does not particularly spoil anything because it, it comes up fairly quickly in the film and it doesn't really spoil what happens next. This is a film that goes through a lot of twists and turns, does come to some, some surprising things, but also isn't about a big twist. It's not... It's more how this the story gets to where it does, um, and, and not any particular single incident that occurs along the way. But so the story is um, about a very impoverished family that essentially make their living by folding pizza boxes and various other small things. And the eldest son gets an opportunity via one of his friends who is at the university to go and tutor a young uh, a high school sophomore uh, for a very rich family. And then things kind of spiral outward from that. So that's all I'm going to say about it. It is a fantastic film. I think that it is probably uh, the director's best since Memories of Murder, which is one of my favorite, um, I guess, psychological thrillers. And uh, I liked, I'm one of those people that did not like Snowpiercer, but I think that what this film does is it explores some, many of the same themes and the same uh, ideas and the same complexity of class and of um, the way and the way that people are treated because of their class because it isn't just about rich people and poor people it is about this whole the stigma of class um, and and I think it explores I think Parasite explores those issues in a much more complex and morally complex, particularly way than Snowpiercer does. Uh, it, it is a, it's a great film. Like it's, it's so well constructed. It's funny, but it's also very dark. Uh, and it slides back and forth between this, you know, almost extreme absurdist humor to actual horror. And it does it, it does it so seamlessly that you almost don't realize what's happening until it's happened. And then, you know, you kind of walk away from it and you're like, oh my God, that there was so much that was contained in this single film. It, it, it's a fantastic movie and I do encourage everybody to go see it. It is worth all of the hype that it has had. Yeah, it's one of those rare films that I don't, I, I, it probably is possible to overhype it for some people, but it really does deserve all of the accolades and all of the praise that it's gotten. Um, when I watched it, I had not read the synopsis and I had not watched a trailer I just knew it existed and that people loved it and it won the Palm Door. So the you know the screening came up and I thought, well, I really want to see this before other people start ruining it for me. So I'm just going to go. And the screening that I went to was completely packed. I mean, they were bringing in folding chairs for the press because they had too many people there, but um, which was crazy. <laughs> but uh, I, so I didn't know that it was going to go through different tonal shifts and I didn't know what even what the genre was. I knew that it wasn't a horror film, which a lot of people think it is because of the name Parasite, but um, I knew that it wasn't strictly a horror film. So that was all I knew. And it was like within the first 10 minutes, I was just, man, this movie is really good. And I mean, you're laughing hilariously one minute and then you're just on the verge of tears for someone mm -hmm. later. And the way that, like you say, the way that it's balanced is so good. And there are very few directors that can handle those shifting tones, especially when it goes back and forth and do it so seamlessly that you don't really necessarily see that it's happening. It's, it's, it's very much, um, 
it's like a magic show in a lot of ways where you're so focused on one thing that you don't realize all of the emotion and the weight that's happening as a result. But even when you do, it's just such a great journey. And uh, the actors are fantastic. Everything about this movie is so good. And I'm excited that it's finally getting out to audiences. It'll be in theaters next week. And I'm so excited because everyone needs to see this movie. And I mean, I think Bong Joon-ho is up for an Oscar nomination for Best Director. And it will be so deserved because... Oh, this is one of the best directed films I've seen this year. Yeah, like you, like you say, it's very seamless. The, mm-hmm. That movement back and forth where you're just like, oh, 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 and then you're laughing at it, and then it's suddenly like, oh, this isn't funny anymore, but it kind of is, but it, it's not. But what was I laughing at beforehand? That was one of the interesting things uh, in the screening I was in. There were a lot of people that were laughing at things that I was like, I don't think that's funny. Um, mm-hmm. But okay. And, (laughs) and it was very weird. It was, it was like they, they were almost trying to, trying to make a choice about how you were supposed to perceive this film. And it's, it's a, it's a fascinating piece of work. Sure is. Um, yeah. So everyone go see it when it comes to a theater near you. It'll start rolling out into theaters next week, but then it'll, it'll go wider over the next couple of weeks. So don't miss it. Do yourselves that favor. Um, I was going to talk about Dolomite, but I want to wait on that one. Let's end on Parasite. Actually, let's end on one other piece of news. Cinema Score has just announced that Joker is um, at a B plus, which is checking notes. The same score that Ghostbusters had <laughs> in 2016. <laughs> oh, I love it. Love it. So anyway, so fanboys just shut the fuck up about Ghostbusters. <clears throat> oh, I'm, Let us love it. I'm going to keep on reminding them of it. Just be like, hey, remember yeah. that time? Remember that time that the Joker wasn't as good as Ghostbusters? Remember that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Oh, and I also wanted to say, too, uh, just because I was glad that you brought this up, because a bunch of people were like, yeah, but uh, the audience score is at 50% on Ghostbusters. And I was like, okay, first of all, that was at a time when people could just rank things without, mm-hmm. or rate things without having seen them. Like, before it was even released. And also, the pool of writers that are contributing to Rotten Tomatoes now and that are counted in the tomato meter score has diversified in the last three years. So if Ghostbusters were out now, that's those numbers would be very different. Yeah. So, Just face it, guys. Joker is not nearly as good as Ghostbusters. Answer the call. It's just a fact. <laughs> It's an objective fact. Exactly. Exactly. We have the numbers to prove it. Anyway. All right. So, uh, Lauren, what's on tap for you this week? I know you mentioned Motherless Brooklyn and a couple of other things. Yeah, I think I'm going to see if I, if I get a chance to see Motherless Brooklyn. Otherwise, um, I'm primarily I'm watching horror films. I think I'm going to try to put up some reviews of just horror films that I enjoy. Uh, my, my roommate has been asking me to watch some more... Uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis films, which if you know who Herschel Gordon Lewis is, uh, don't, don't. Like, if you don't know who he <laughs> is, don't don't bother to look him up. Um, he, he has made some of probably the worst horror films ever made. Uh, but a whole bunch of his films are on Criterion right now, so we are trying to watch a few of them. Oh, this is a, well, that sounds fun. This is a very dubious pleasure. 
<laughs> nice. Well, this week I am heading your way. I will be in the Hamptons on Thursday. I'm so excited. Yay! I'm I'm going to be covering the Hamptons International Film Festival for Award Circuit. And so I will be there Thursday till Monday. And um, I'm really excited. I'm going to see The Irishman. I will sit in the theater and watch it. Um, some other things, The Aeronauts. I'm going to go watch Jojo Rabbit again because, yes, of course I am. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see what else I, I get to catch. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So that'll be fun. Hopefully I'll get to meet up with you, too. Yes. I don't know if our listeners can handle that much awesomeness in one place. <laughs> Can New York handle us both in one place? Uh, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's going to wrap things up for this week. And uh, we want to thank you all so much for your support. Of course, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, there's lots of ways you can reach out. We have our official website, citizendamepod.com, where you can get our reviews, my review of Joker, Lauren's review of Parasite, and a lot of other stuff. Mostly Lauren writes there, not me. But uh, I contribute when I can. Um, but she writes really awesome stuff, and you should not miss it. Um, but there's other ways to find us, too. You can email us directly, citizendamepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at citizendamepod. Facebook.com slash citizendame. And uh, if you'd like to kick a little money our way, help us out, keep the lights on, there are a couple ways to do that. We do have our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash citizendame. And we do, uh, if you contribute there, you can get uh, early access to our episodes. We do have a few bonus episodes that are up, and we'll be working on some more uh, if my schedule ever clears up a little bit. <laughs> I'm so tired. Um, but we're working on that. We also have our Zazzle store where you can find some fun things, and we will be adding some more stuff and diversifying that a little bit but that's zazzle.com slash citizen name t-shirts pens coffee mugs all that kind of stuff and then if you just want to kick us a couple dollars that's our ko-fi account that's ko ko hyphen fi fi dot com slash citizen dame and if you want to reach out to us individually to tell us how right we are about everything lauren where can they find you i am at lh business and i am at karen m peterson so thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you all next week. Yay! You are all of you confessed idolaters. However, these proceedings shall be carried out through due process of law. What law demands, we shall satisfy. You will each be tied in a prescribed fashion and cast into the moat, should you then sink we will know that your confessions are false. If, on the other hand, you are seen to swim or float, then your confessions of witchcraft are proven beyond a doubt in the sight of God, and you will be withdrawn from the water and hanged by the neck until you are dead.